Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 242. My name is Adam Patterson. Joining me today, we've got Kevin Rakestraw. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing well. You plowing through this world we live in? Getting through it? Sure. This week on the show, we'll be looking at Raul Peck's I'm Not Your Negro alongside Tim Sutton's Dark Knight. Gonna get political this week. Oh boy. Gonna get political this week. Just what the people want. Strap in. Remember, you can join in on the conversation by sending us an email at podcastfilmpulse.net or by sending us a tweet to at filmpulse.net. And if you like what you hear, consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber to our Patreon for just a dollar a month. Patreon.com slash filmpulse is the address and it is a wonderful service and you'll be helping us out greatly with just a dollar a month it's twelve dollars a year folks twelve bucks a year whoa yep wow i think we should just dive right into our first review this week let's get it let's get to it i think we should start with i'm not your negro all right this is this opened this week in, I believe, select cities. I don't think this is wide, but I can't be certain of that. It's directed by Raul Peck. I never know these days. I never know what's wide release and what's not. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to stay up on. Yeah. I have a synopsis here. Writer James Baldwin tells the story of race in modern America with his unfinished novel, Remember This House. I think, uh, I, I guess I'll start this one off. Uh, I saw this uh, a little while ago, and it, it ended up being uh, certainly one of my favorite documentaries of the year, so I was a big fan of this one. Uh, it's basically, it's sort of just like an, an essay of sorts. Um, it's, it's sort of a reimagining of James Baldwin's unfinished manuscript, uh, in which he sort of talks about race in America, and he sort of... Uh, also uh, honors the uh, the three men that he was very close with, uh, being Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and Medgar Evers. The way that it's presented, I think, uh, it really worked for me. I like the, I mean, it's so weird how, I'm sure that they were working on this film long before uh, the election and everything that's been happening recently, but it just feels so... Um, so relevant to what's going on now. And I think that that's what uh, really uh, I really appreciated about the film is the, f the fact that he spliced in things that happened in the past with things that are happening in the present and, and sort of um, took a look at what could be happening in the future. And, yeah, and he kind of draws those parallels, which I, it was exceptional. And it was, I don't know if this happened to you. There's, Numerous times where I'm thinking, is he t is he talking about now? Right. Like you know, the narration itself, it like it it talks to what's happening in the present just as much as you know back when he wrote this. Right. That it it does confuse you a little bit where it's like, is he talking about the present? Yeah. Like, that can't be right. <laughs> and that's the that's the crazy thing. Like James Baldwin passed away thirty years ago, and the stuff that he's saying in this in this book. Um, it feels so contemporary. Like it feels like this is happening. Like he's writing this now, and it's just 
kind of it, it kind of makes you think about like the cyclical nature of of issues social issues that that can occur and how you know the a lot of these old wounds are being reopened today um as far as how we deal with race in america and while i definitely believe that we're in a better place now than we were you know 30 years ago um or back in the 60s it's it there's still an issue a lot of these people a lot of people think that we live in a post-racial society which i think is horribly horribly incorrect oh yeah and i think that uh, more than anything in the recent events that have been occurring since january we've been seeing evidence of that oh yeah but it was i mean it's always been there of course even before even before the election oh yeah no i mean i just think that with with our current president uh it's now for some reason these people think that it's okay to like come out of the closet yeah they they, they think that it's okay to just to, to surface whereas before they were like you know closeted racists and they were keeping it a secret but now they're like oh well it's okay i can do this now that has been uh an unfortunate you know cause because i've seen it you know the people that i work with and stuff it's just all of a sudden this like there's a comfort to them that they're just like wow i can be racist now and you're just like whoa (laughs) whoa i didn't know that okay you know, you know, you know what I mean? They'll just yeah, you know, they'll just say small phrases, and you're just like, "Oh shit, you're racist!" Wow. In a, in a way, I'm I'm kind of okay with it happening because now I can now I can determine who I no longer want to talk to. Yeah, like the 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 people that I no longer consider uh, friends or acquaintances, <laughs> I just want to write off. Yeah, because I just can't you know I can't stand for that nonsense. But getting but back, is. getting back to the film itself, uh, it's narrated by Samuel L. Jackson, who he does a phenomenal job with the narration. I, I didn't know it was him. Yeah, I mean, he just he completely nails it. The it, he the way that he shifts the tone of his voice and just the way he presents everything in this film is just amazing. He he knocks it out of the park. Yeah, I was quite surprised to learn that that was him. So I was about halfway through, and I'm like, "Who's doing the narration for this?" Yeah, just looking at my IMDb, and I'm like, nah, "I don't know if that's right. I think someone wrote the wrong name in there." <laughs> yeah, he he does he does a pretty pretty amazing job. It doesn't sound like your typical Sam Jackson. He he definitely switches it up for this one. Yeah, there's a there's kind of like a somber tone mm-hmm. to his narration. <clears throat> Uh, I thought all the archival footage, like the the Dick Cavett interviews and things like that, were all incredibly fascinating. Um, and, yeah, that I mean, it's so educational in so many different ways. I mean, it truly like watching the Dick Cavett show. Just those that that archival footage, and you're just like, that's what that's how talk shows used to be. Yeah, and then, you know, and then you see the state of talk shows now. Yeah, in fact, I think I said exactly that while I was watching this. I was like, wow, you know, the talk shows used to be, like, hard-hitting. Like, they used to get down to some serious issues. And there's some shows, you know, like, you have Real Time with Bill Maher. Some yeah, but, shows... even, but even then, there's still this, like, I don't, even with, like, Bill Maher and stuff, there's that under that undercurrent of where 
they're still entertaining. Right, yeah. Still like, we got to find the funny side of this. Got to joke about it a little bit. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think uh, shows like Real Time and um, Last Week Tonight, the John Oliver show, I, I think are fantastic. I think that they deliver these kind of news bits and issues in a very palatable and entertaining way. And I think that that's how people need to consume news these days. They need they need it in a form of entertainment. Yeah, they, they just can't handle straight news anymore. I think people just they, I, you know, I it's know. Just, it's just one because immediately all I can think of you, while you're watching the Dick Cavett clips, I think all I can think of is Jimmy Fallon tussling. I know, there. <laughs> like, I know right? That's all I can think of. And I'm just like, there's such there's such a gulf between these two things. What happened? Well, that was a huge mistake on all levels. I don't, I'm sure that he regrets doing that, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, shouldn't have happened in I, the first place. It's just, and it's just it. It reminded me of something because I've been wanting to read James Baldwin for years, and for whatever reason, I've never gotten to it. And it was just I, then I just felt shame <laughs> watching this. I'm just like, I, why have I not read James Baldwin yet? Well, I think that this is a good entry to because I obviously I've never read his stuff either because uh, I don't read, but <laughs> I admit it. I don't have time for it, unfortunately. But I think that this is a good entry entry point into into his ideas and his life as well. I think that this is one of these movies that a lot of people need to see, but I'm afraid that not enough people will see it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and. I agree with you that it is a good entry point and it immediately, at least for me, my, my response to it is two things. It was number one, I, I got to read bald one. I got to just do that and stop putting it off. And two, I just like immediately wanted to watch like every clip of him. I know he, he, he's such a fascinating, like his ideas are so in tune with how I feel about a lot of those things. It's just he's it's, an, he has an incredible presence to him. Right. I mean, he's, he's speaking. He's so incredibly articulate, and his ideas are just so on point. He just seems so in tune with what's happening in America, and he, he has such a firm grasp of it. I thought it was just every basically any time they would show clips of him speaking, I would just hang on every word that he was saying. Well, yeah, and that was the thing that I noticed too, because it had the same effect on me, but you also kind of notice in in those clips the people around him you know whether it's the dick cabot show or when it was you know the that debate at cambridge and stuff you know you would see the people around him like immediately when he would start talking like everyone was just hooked yeah and he just like it just this like this atmosphere came over the entire room where it's just like someone really important is speaking yeah, I mean that that the Cambridge thing, those clips were incredible. Uh just everything that he was saying was just so incredible. And and you could just tell that he was just he was just radiating to the audience, which just, was he, Yeah, like he gets in his zone. And, and their reaction afterwards was just like, "Holy crap." Like he he either changed the minds or perspectives of everyone in that room or they, you know, they already felt that way and just he reaffirmed them and made them stronger in their beliefs and it was just uh just really interesting to see and i don't think i don't think it was the dick cavett 
clip. I think it was, there was another one where he was on with Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. Oh yeah, when it was like the, the, the... It was like a debate of sorts where they were kind of, each, each of them brought their own ideas and kind of, uh, you know, had... I don't know if was it a debate. I don't even know. No, no I think it was. I think it was like three separate because they and this was um, the, the editing in this movie is quite good. And this is one of the examples of it when they had you know there was the interview with Malcolm X and he's essentially just critiquing um, Martin Luther King Jr. and his movement and what he's what he's trying to do. And then you know they would splice to. Martin Luther King Jr.'s response and then would cut back to, you know, Malcolm X with more of a critique and then back to his response. And then they would cut to, they would splice in the footage of, I guess, Baldwin's interview. That's really interesting because I thought that that was an actual, like they were all there. It might, I, I know, I'm not sure. I, th- I got the sense that it was three separate. Either way, uh, that was really fascinating to watch just to see all their all their different views and and it's like uh james baldwin seems to be the one that that kind of is in the middle between malcolm x and martin luther king jr and just the how he takes their ideas and conveys them to people it's it's just really he was just a really fascinating interesting man and i love i love his um i think it's at the beginning when he talks about because he was living in france for many years and how he came back to America and how he was saying how he never missed America when he was in France. But when he came back, he just suddenly felt like he was at home. And I just thought that that whole kind of monologue that he does is just was really, really interesting. Yeah. And just the, the kind of kind of how they, they framed it at the beginning there, where he was kind of discussing why he had to come back and what compelled him to come back to America. I, th- I thought that they just did a fantastic job of kind of mixing his personal feelings with, you know, his friendships with people and just America at that time. And then, you know, the, the more public persona and kind of weaving the two together. Now, what did you think? Did you think that it was correct of Peck to intercut, you know, Baldwin's thoughts and ideas from this from this unfinished manuscript into footage and things that are happening today like what's happening today did you think that that was appropriate or a good thing for him to do something like that yeah i think it is good to make that connection for a lot of people to kind of see you know kind of like i said earlier where i'm not you know i was kind of confused at times because i'm thinking did he just write this yeah no, that can't be true. He died in '87. There's no way. <laughs> the other, but thing- it, it just it just goes you it just goes to show that there. I mean, there's been some significant changes, but you know, at the same time, a lot of stuff has stayed the same. And I'm I'm fearful that things are taking several steps back. I feel like we're we're going backwards. Oh yeah, in, in recent times. And again, the, not just since Trump was elected either. I feel like it's been happening more and more recently that we're we're backtracking. But the other thing that that's about this movie is that it it doesn't propose any solutions. It's not it's not here to tell us what we need to do. It's it's showing us what is happening. So hopefully, 
people in power can take steps and, and the people, society in general can take steps in preventing, you know, something like a race war or something like that from happening. And I, I like that. I, I don't, I don't necessarily want the, the film to, I don't think it's the film's place to propose any kind of solutions because at, at the core of, of it, that's not really what this movie's about. It's about James Baldwin's life and ideas. And I was afraid that they were going to do something like that where they're, you know, towards the end where they're going to tell us how we fix it. Yeah. You know, between this and 13th, got some, uh, got some really educational docs. Absolutely. I, like must-sees. I actually liked this one a bit more than 13th. This one just, again, I was so enthralled by everything that was happening. And even, even how he intercuts the old... Uh, film footage like the the short films that that he would put in from like the 40s oh yeah 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 that was that was a that was an interesting side to it that i wasn't really expecting it's a lot of clips from films mm -hmm. that baldwin discusses yeah and i thought that that was lots of uh like revisionist history films cowboy a lot of cowboy and indian type stuff yeah he talks a lot about john wayne yeah he seemed to be a little bit of a film buff. And that the the my favorite part was his when they brought out the it was the Dick Cavett show when they brought out I think he was like a philosophy professor. You know, and they brought that guy out and he you know, he's like you were watching the show in the back and do you agree with stuff? Do you oh, disagree yeah. with stuff? And he's like, Oh, I disagree with a lot. I agree with some, but I disagree with a lot. And and the <laughs> Baldwin's reaction and just completely, you know tore him down eviscerating him yeah it was just like holy shit i mean there's just so he has such a command of speech that was just incredible to watch you know to just you know just to to just come out with those with that reaction just off the top of your head like that it's just like how are you doing this yep i think we need more people like him now i think that there are some people out there like um like Cornell West, I think, is an incredible speaker. And more recently, I've been following uh, Van, uh, Van Jones. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. His, his stuff is really, really great, too. And, but I think we need more people like that, that, that can speak out and have an articulate well, voice. Well, and I think, that, I think that the issue, too, is I think a lot of those people are out there. I just think that, at least for me, I, d I don't know. You know, I know a couple like you said, Van Jones, but it's more on me to actually like go out and seek them because they're out there. Very true. I'm just I'm just sitting at home doing nothing, just like, <laughs> doing nothing with your life. I, I wish I wish there were some people out there like James Baldwin, and they're and they're out there, and they're like, yeah, we're we're fucking right here. <laughs> Why aren't you listening to us? God damn it! <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably true. Oh, it's definitely true. It's a hundred percent true. So this was nominated for was this nominated for best uh, documentary? Yes, it was. It, yeah, best documentary it. feature this year at the Academy Awards. Uh, I would say very deserving of it overall. Yes. I thought that this was a pretty incredible documentary. And again, it's one of these movies where it's not like there was a ton of material to work from. It was an unfinished manuscript, and the director yeah, basically it was only like thirty thirty pages, right? Man. Yeah. So there was a lot of filling in the blanks, so to speak. And I think that he did a pretty fantastic job of, of fleshing it out. 
and I loved the inclusion of all of the archival footage and the clips and everything, the, the, a lot of uh, black and white photography and the splicing in of, you know, things, things that are happening in modern times. Like there's a, there's a lot of footage from Ferguson and things like that. And I thought that it was just really, really well put together. Typically with documentaries like this, I'm, I find, I find them educational and I find them uh, entertaining if you could call it that. But as documentaries go, a lot of times I don't feel like they bring a lot new to the table, like from a technical standpoint. And I thought that this one was just so well put together. Like you said, the editing is pretty incredible. And I thought that it was very well made. So I'm not your Negro. I'm going to give this one an eight out of 10. Give it eight and a half. Very nice. I'll go with the eight and a half. Great, great film. I hope this is one that they quickly turn around to VOD because people aren't going to go to the theater and see this and where it's playing now. It's, you know, it's playing in, I think uh, Alamo draft house is screening it. Cause I read on Twitter several times that all of the screenings at the Alamo draft house were sold out and they had to actually add more screenings so people could see it. So it's a lot of people are, being very receptive to this, which is great, but I think that it needs to get a wider release and re- reach a wider audience. I'm afraid that this is one of these movies we talk about all the time where it's just um, preaching to the choir, so to speak. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I just, I really want movies like this to hit a wider audience, especially people that may not may not be familiar with who James Baldwin is or may maybe have differing opinions or ideas and maybe this can educate them and help help them understand where we're at in society when it comes to race yeah but unfortunately like you said it'll probably just be more of a preaching to the choir and usually i mean and usually i don't mind that either because i take as long as i take something away from it you know as long as it educates me i'm happy with that but well you still gotta have it out there too you can't just you know right (laughs) Not put it out and be like, well, you know. This is only going to appeal to, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, let's talk about our next film of the day, Dark Knight. This is written and directed by Tim Sutton. I have a synopsis here. The lives of six strangers intersect at a suburban cineplex where a massacre occurs. Yeah. All right. So we go go from talking about issues of race to issues of gun violence in Dark Knight. Kevin, we'll start it with you with this one. What did you think of Dark Knight? Um, well, what did I think? Uh, this is atrocious. Just outright atrocious. And, I mean, it's just, it's offensive on so many levels. Mm. I just, I, I couldn't believe it, really. I couldn't believe what I was watching. And, I mean, this movie only works with going in knowing about Aurora, knowing about the, the shooting, because if you didn't have that knowledge, I don't think you would really come to that conclusion while watching this movie. No, you wouldn't. So I think it's kind of disgusting on that part that you're, you know, it's kind of like before you go, you're ushered in to, to watch the thing that they're, you know, kind of like, oh, hey, by the way. Just keep in mind Aurora, the shooting, 
the real life massacre of people, the real life tragedy. And guess what? I'm going to do art stuff with it. I would put art. <laughs> I would put art stuff in quotes on that. Yeah. On that statement. <laughs> That's why I tagged on this stuff. Yeah. the The yeah. only uh, the only thing I could think of was Elephant, that Gus Van Zant movie, which I've ne- I've never seen. It's very similar, but the the Van Zant one, even though I didn't like it, does does it a lot better. the The Elephant was uh, sort of a loose interpretation of. Um, the Columbine shooting, whereas this is a loose yeah. interpretation of the Aurora shooting. And I, I love how they were very quick at the beginning of the movie to have that, have them watching that news clip where they actually talked about the shooting. So you could be like, okay, yeah. s- to separate themselves. Law and Order SVU does that all the time where they're like, let's, let's be sure to let everyone know that this is not that. So they mention it to, to kind of, you know, it's like a liability thing where they're like, this is not, this is not about the Aurora thing. It, it's a different, it's in a different place and it's a different time. It takes place after it. We're going to put that news clip in there. So you all know that it's not the same thing, but yeah, we, but it, is. but it is, of course it is. I mean, this takes place in, they didn't say exactly where it takes place, uh, but it's, it's in Florida. I think it's in Tampa. It looks like Tampa in that area. And the problem is, you, you like this, like the synopsis says, you, you you spend time with these six people. Half the time, I could not tell any of them apart. Like it would jump from character to character, and I'm like, have we seen this person already? Is this the only one? The only one that I knew was the guy with the long hair, who was the quote unquote shooter. That's the only one who, when they would cut back to, and the guy with the that they. Why? Why is he being interviewed? The the, the guy that they interviewed with the buzzed hair, but why? This is what I don't understand about this movie. Like they tried, so it's like it was like that they looked at the definition of neo realism and were like, okay, this is what we have to do. We have to follow these rules. This has to be the definition of neo realism, and it was like they followed all these weird steps, like the the interviews made no sense to me whatsoever i was like is this supposed to be like a documentary but but I, yeah and it's only that portion of yeah, the film. right there, there's nothing else that follows that structure so why is it why is it in there why did they make that decision to do that what and why is this kid being interviewed anyways he's not interesting right and, and, the, and no, no offense, none of these people are interested. Well, that's the thing; they bring nothing to the table. There's no, there's no development of these characters. It's just, it's is random clips of them living their lives. But because we have no context as to who these people are, or anything about them, it's completely uninteresting, and you have no connection to these people whatsoever. If they, if they took the time, maybe if they kept it. Instead of six people, if they kept it to like three or four, and they actually spent the time on on knowing, getting to know who these people were, then maybe the the what happens at the end might have had more impact. And and also, what happens at the end is it's nothing. Like it doesn't make you feel like oh my god. Like it's it doesn't shock you. It doesn't. Well, and and that's the thing. Like it's. The, the impact that you're talking about that, you know, it's lacking or that you want, it's there, it's in the original tragedy. It's in, right. They're just like, 
that impact has been delivered and it can be delivered again and again by just remembering Aurora or reading about Aurora. You don't need this film. This there's no need for this to exist. Right. If you if you want to see a movie that addresses gun violence in America, there's a thousand of them. There's so many that you don't need another one that does the exact same thing. Of course, oh, we show these kids playing video games. They're the disaffected youth. You know, they're they're vaping and they're playing their first person shooters and they're dyeing their hair and they got piercings. So of course they're gonna shoot up a, a movie theater. I mean to me it was it was offensive when I see well, stuff like just, this. There's and there's just some very odd like number one is you're trying to have this like it felt at least I had the feeling that he was trying to go for this like impending doom because you Right. But again, that's only working because he whispered Aurora before he started, before the film started. So that's the only reason, like, if I did not know about Aurora going in, I would not be thinking, oh, there's going to be a huge tragedy at the end of this film. I would just be thinking, oh, these people are doing nothing and they're going to continue doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. Why is it? Why am I sitting through this? Yeah. Why am I having why to sit am, through this? Why am I watching them? So I don't really understand what what are you trying to to do with these people? I don't see this as anything except cashing in on the fact that they were killed. To me, it's nothing more than that. I was thinking that the interview portions with that, the, I think that they're jumping in time. I think that the interview portions are after the tragedy in the film took place and at least that's what i got out of it that because there was that one scene where he's like walking down the street and he has that like i don't know what the hell it was vision or flashback or whatever of people taking pictures yeah. of him so yeah. i think that the interview portion is supposedly after the the, the uh, shooting took place but the the I, I did read some things about people saying how you know, this was so full of tension and like the, the, the impending doom, as you said. And clearly that's what they were trying to go with. I will and, agree with you on that. It's, but, and it's only because you know of the real tragedy. Right, exactly. You, and you that, know what, it, what and, it is. You know, all the marketing material behind this movie is, oh, it's based on Aurora. It's inspired by Aurora. That's the only reason you have that tension. Or that sense of dread. It's not in the actual film. And I feel like it also, being a movie that's supposedly about the state of gun use in America and gun violence that occurs in America, I feel like it doesn't bring any new ideas to the table. It doesn't, it doesn't even explore the existing ideas in a new or interesting way. And I think that people that, that made it, I mean, it's not delivering it, us anything that we don't already know. And it's not delivering I, us anything. And I, and I think that, you know, a lot of stuff is, is it needs to be explored more. If you're going to make a movie about gun violence, then you need to do it in a more complex and maybe uh, more developed way because there's nothing in this. Like you show a kid going to a shooting range, you show a kid carrying a rifle down the street and it's like, okay, maybe you should explore where he got that rifle. Maybe you should show him going to a gun show and getting that rifle, you know, with no background check or permits or anything or whatever. However they do, I don't know how yeah. gun shows work. But. 
Well, and the other thing too is what what are you saying? Because to me, I don't think anything was explored. I mean, this. Well, that's why I think that they showed him playing the the, the first person shooter games, and I, I think that they definitely showed that stuff for a reason. I think that they were trying to show that these are these are yeah, disaffected youth. But I think it was more. I don't know if he was actually really, you know, like dissecting anything or investigating no, anything. No, it, it just not. seemed more like he was, you know, parroting like really, really surface level things. Like, oh yeah, I once heard on TV that someone blamed it on video yeah, games. Yeah, exactly. And, I'll put and, a video game in. But you know, overall, on a bigger picture here, like, what is what is the message that you're sending? You have a person that you know the Aurora shooting. So now we get to have an arty movie. So to me, you're almost, in a sense, you're kind of glorifying it. Because the victims that you show, they show them doing nothing. Just being normal people, just doing stuff. There's really nothing to it. And you're like, your action or your, you know, the thing that is set up to draw the viewers in is the killer himself. Right. And I think that this movie would have done it would have been more effective to create a connection between the viewer and the victims. Like let us get to know these people. Let us, uh, you know, draw, get attached to these people. That way when, you know, that final scene does occur, it will be more impactful, it'll be more emotional because well, these people that we've been spending the last hour and a half with are, you know, going to be killed presumably. And that way it, does pack a bigger wallop than what happens which you know maybe maybe i'm one of these desensitized uh, viewers that they sort of allude to in the movie but i didn't feel anything like i felt no emotion from this movie whatsoever like i got nothing out of it it didn't make me think about the, this the state of guns in our country it didn't it did nothing yeah it's just it's because there's nothing there and then there's just there's other elements to it that are just kind of odd choices. Well, like the first thing, the first thing that outside of the whole Aurora thing that kind of made me like cock my head a little bit, like what the fuck are we doing? Is he does that like super slow? He travels like length of the woman's body doing yoga or whatever, like super close up. Just let's just slowly go down her backside, and it's like why is this in here yeah what and then you know like everything that involved her was just like filming her body it's just like why is this part of your your story why is this element there maybe it's a reflection on the fact that she's got a youtube channel and she's making money off of showing off her bod i guess i i don't know that's if that's what it is it doesn't that doesn't work i have no idea all I know is I just, I hated this. I just, I wanted to fight the movie. Yeah, there were a lot of things that, that irked me about this one as well. There were, there were a lot of things that I think did not work. The fact that it's somehow less than an hour and a half long. Like this is, IMDb reports this in an hour and 25 minutes. That's bull- this, There's no way. I felt like Dude. I was watching this movie all day. It never ended. And I think that, again, going back to the disconnect between the viewer and the characters, that's what it was because there was nothing like when you, when you don't see 
any kind of plot progression when there's no when there is no plot to speak of and it just jumps it's it reminds me of uh slacker link letter slacker where when you watch that movie it just feels like it's never gonna end and it just when it just jumps from character to character to character doing nothing but at least in slacker they had conversations at least there was something going on whereas in this movie there's not even a lot of dialogue there's not there's just nothing going on yeah it's just a movie of nothing that says nothing. And yeah. and it I mean, it's got a cool poster, I'll give it that. It's got some nice cinematography. The cinematography's decent. I, I I mean, typically these types of movies are in my wheelhouse. I like these movies that that feel very authentic and documentary style. I like that. But when you're bringing nothing to the table and having characters that you can't connect with even on a very simple base level it's not gonna it's not gonna do it what one just the audacity to have like why do you have to connect it to aurora i don't understand i just don't understand that decision you could have easily just made this a film and not have aurora part of the equation well even if aurora wasn't part of the equation i still don't think i would have no i mean i still wouldn't have liked it but i wouldn't have been like just outright offended while watching the entire thing sure sure you know what i mean like i'm just i'm just reminded of that fact like every minute that something happens in this 37 hour long film it just he you know it just it just sits there in my head and it just it pissed me off yep uh, Why? I will completely agree with you on that. This was uh, this was not a winner for me. And like, stop! Whoever is funding these types of movies, stop! Just fucking stop! Yeah, I heard good things about this too. This this played the festivals for for a while, and I'm I'm glad that I didn't waste my time seeing it at any of the festivals that I've been to last year. Oh yeah! If you got me in like a theater setting, I would have been asleep in five minutes. <laughs> Just uh, I, this this might have been a walkout for me. I might have had to leave it. Well, yeah. I I mean, I would have as soon as you know. I probably wouldn't have walked in because of the synopsis. I said I've just read it and been like, mm, nope. Yeah. All right. What are you gonna give Dark Knight? I give it a zero. <laughs> oh man! Wow. Go fuck yourself. That's intense. Uh, fuck yourself. I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one a 1.5. Just a slog. I cannot recommend this one at all. At all. It, there were there were a number of things that offended me about this this one, and I just nope. It's just that's a big no for me. It's a big pass. Hard pass. I just I don't understand how you have things like that. How can these things happen? Like of all the people that are behind this. Why is no one at one point just being like, you know what? We shouldn't do this. Let's not do this. Yep. And then everyone just packs up their stuff and they go home and they start other projects. <laughs> Let's just leave we'll it. <laughs> we'll just table it and we won't come back to it. And we'll just forget about it and we'll do other things. Yeah. All right. That's Dark Knight. That is playing in select cities. I think it might just be playing in New York right now. Uh, let's move on. Talk about some of what we've been watching on the watch list. It's been a while. Took last week off. Kevin, we'll start with you. I can't remember like what what we talked about, what we didn't talk about last time. Uh, I watched 
here's one that I know we didn't discuss. That's The Dreamed Path. This is a film that has been playing uh, numerous festivals. Showed up on a lot of people's best of lists last year. A lot of number one spots. It was populating. So I got pretty psyched. I, I got on board the hype train, as they would say. And uh, it finally popped up on uh, Festival Scope. And I was delighted. I was so happy. I finally get this watch this movie. And I get to be like everyone else. And have it as one of my favorite films of the year. This is terrible. <laughs> I'm so confused as to why so many people love this. Um, it's just a Prasad knockoff. And it's not a particularly well-made one. It's just, I, I, I unfortunately, my movie watching has been just a lot of slogs, it seems like. And this is another one, only 86 minutes long, but it felt like three weeks of just watching nothing. Have, it's just nothing. People, uninteresting people doing nothing. But they all, but to make it worse, it has that, it has that uh, person aesthetic on it or the stylings as you might say where it's the everyone is sulking Mm -hmm. everyone is just infinitely sad and they all just kind of look down they're all timid they all look like they've been abused like they're abused dogs and i i just can't get behind this mode of filmmaking Mm. i just don't understand the appeal at all i don't get it it may be the most baffling thing to me in cinema is that people can watch that and then, you know, just stand in ovation and be like, that was wonderful. I'm just like, did we see the same thing? Right. So, I mean, for me, I, I cannot, I cannot recommend it. It was awful. Just terrible. And that's the dreamed path. I saw the ring versus the grudge. Was that better? No. Uh-huh. We, th- this is what we were originally planning on reviewing last week. But then we decided to take the week off. Uh, so this, this premiered on Shudder. This was a Shudder exclusive, the uh, streaming horror network. And I would say if you're into horror movies, it is an easy recommend to get that. It's amazing. The, the movies that they get, and it's like consistent, uh, consistent updates to their library that are really great. Fantastic collection of horror movies. So Shudder is definitely worth getting. Uh, the fact that they're doing exclusive content as well is cool. And I was actually really excited to see this movie because big fan of the ring, big fan of the grudge mixing the two together. I was like, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm still interested. Uh, it doesn't work. It doesn't really work. It's basically a ring movie. So that that's where the focus is. And it's a, it's a very generic ring movie. I heard that the new one that just came out this week here in America is the same it's very just really generic and base level mm-hmm. um and that's that's how this one is it's you know uh these two girls find the tape they watch the tape one girl is looking down at her phone while the tape plays and so she doesn't get the curse but the other girl does and so that was kind of an interesting thing and then another interesting thing is the one girl stupidly uploads she rips the VHS tape to a DVD and then uploads it to the internet. So thousands of people get the curse. And I thought that that was kind of, that was kind of cool. That's, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. But they don't do anything with it. And that's the problem is that they didn't really do anything interesting with that idea. 
Um, basically, when they find out that they've been cursed, they have a, a they're in college and they have a professor who specializes. Of course, he specializes in these types of things, and he reaches out to this um, like exorcist woman, who then reaches out to this other um, powerful magician sort of guy, and he. <laughs> He and his little sidekick, who's like this 10-year-old blind girl, decide that the way that you can the only way that you can lift the curse is to find another curse that is just as powerful and have the two curses fight over the victim. So they ended up finding Ju- Juan, the uh, you know, the the creature from the grudge, and it's so ridiculous. And then getting getting her cursed by both of them, and then the two fight. I love it. I yeah, love it. it is. What, so are they just kind of hoping that the two the two fight and kind of destroy right, each other? Yeah, his assumption is that the two will destroy each other. That is such a ridiculous. I know. <laughs> I just I love that. That's his idea. That's such a. Needless to say, it doesn't work out. and I wouldn't think, because one of them would win, I would imagine. Well, what happens is a little different, and I will say that the end is, it's a non-ending. Like, it's one of these movies that clearly they're planning on making multiple ones, and it just ends mid-scene, and you're just like, what the, f- what the fuck? Like, it just, what, that's it? That's the end? Like, something, like, it was during an action scene, and it was like something was right about to happen, and it just cut to black and it was like okay come on now you got to give us something more than that you can end on a downer you can end on it you know something terrible happening and that's fine but just don't do it in the middle of a scene like that yeah uh so overall the ring versus the grudge not not really worth looking at it's not scary the 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 grudge the creature from the grudge is more scary because it does that weird mouth click noise thing yeah. Uh, so that's a and the way that she's like all contorted and walking on her hands and hands and feet and stuff and you know, that's just the worst. Yeah, that's that's creepy. The the ring stuff actually, I didn't find that to be scary at all. Maybe it's because we're so far removed from the first ring that. But how do they? Because I'm really interested in this. Is how do they fight each other? Oh, it's well because you know the 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 whole thing with the 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 ghost or spirit from the ring is her hair you know her <laughs> hair is real long she can like move it like tendrils so it like will shoot out and wrap around the creature from the grudge and like drag it and like try to take the hair and like put it in its mouth and it's you don't really see a lot of the fighting actually they don't, you don't see a whole lot of them actually duking it out it, it, there's a, it doesn't happen until the very end of the movie, and it, yeah. But you just wonder why he would, why they would fight. You would think that they would just like race to, and it would just kind of be like a first come first right. serve. Who, who can gets, yeah, who, who can gets, kill? Who gets first? And, and that's that's the other. That's one of the main problems with the movie is that it. Obviously, I think that it was difficult for them to try to to mesh these two movies together, and the way that they did it just didn't work like it just wasn't that clever it yeah it it was the most ridiculous idea like i laughed out loud when the guy was like this is what we're gonna do because i was was the most ridiculous shit and you said that he was like a 
He's a magician, right? He's like a he's like a sorcerer. He does these like weird hand movements, and he's really like he's really powerful. He can do all kinds of stuff, and he has this this little blind girl that's like his sidekick, and she's sort of like a clairvoyant, I guess. She can see, she can read people's minds, she can see things, and oh, like she can see the spirit world and stuff. And th- those two characters were the best characters in the movie. Like they were really interesting. He was well. You would think that those two people combined would have some sort of power to win this instead of getting oh they got their asses another, kicked another curse to fight another curse you know like yeah why have why have these things if you can't utilize them like what point is the, why have them in a movie well they they did some like incantations and things that that sort of controlled the environment mm-hmm. like it's they they were able to sort of direct things gotcha but yeah, they were they were the best two characters of the movie. They were funny and interesting characters, but everything else was just pretty much yeah meh. But yeah. yeah, you know it's available for free if you have Shutter, and you can sign up for like a trial or something and just watch it if you want to. I tried to uh, finish or I tried to watch American Honey. That hasn't happened. Oh, I can't. I can't make it. I love me some American Honey. Oh my god, that film. Oh boy, it's been taunting me for like I've had it for two weeks and I just can't. It's long. I can't yeah. finish it. It's... I can't finish it. There's nothing. There's nothing to it at this point in time. I don't know if anything is going to happen. Probably not. Okay. Probably not enough for you to be satisfied. Well, it's just like I was watching it for like an hour and some, and I'm like, the only thing that I can glean from this movie is like no one has a personality. It seems outside of one guy shows his dick and then runs away like that's that's the main as much as a personality that i've gleaned from this film is that there's that one guy that does that thing well there's more there's more personality stuff later see that's one thing like but it just up until that the point that i'm at i'm just like why did we why was all this time dedicated to this we could have cut so much of this out. Yeah, that the the length of the of that movie is probably the only it's the, the biggest odd... the biggest criticism I would give it is it it's... didn't have to be that long. Yeah, it's such a like a meandering like introduction. It's like it's like two hours and forty five minutes, isn't it? It's like really long. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like huh, can't do it. Can't do it. I loved it. One though. thing one thing I did finish was tectonic plate. This is also from last year. Um, this is an experimental film. Um, it is what is called uh, letterist style letterism, which is essentially it's a non-film. So this is one of those experimental films where like reading about the actual production and creation of the film is far more interesting than the actual film itself. You know, the actual film viewing experience. That's how I felt it's about much more. Uh... Sorry, that's how I felt about Lucifer. I think it was called Lucifer. Oh, is that what the, the aspect was? Yeah. Is it like a circle? Yeah, they used this uh, crazy cone thing to, and they shot, they reflected off the cone, and the whole movie was, yeah, in a circle. Yeah. Well, this is, it's essentially just text on a screen and some like Xerox images and stuff. And it's, it's like seven to three minutes long. So it's, you know, it kind of wears out its welcome after a while. And it's just kind of um, 
this taking taking a uh, a plane trip from Tokyo to Helsinki is kind of like the, the story that we're going with here. And it's just kind of like the, the anxieties around that. And uh, I mean, it's, it's all right. I mean, it's somewhat interesting, but like I said, it's again, it's one of those things where like the actual reading about it and like what letterism is and how she created the film or how the, the director created the film is far more interesting than what I actually saw on the screen. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it's also another thing where I don't know if this letterism idea, because it's been, you know, implemented and it's in an avant-garde movement and it's been in various art forms. It's just, I don't know if cinema, if it, if it really pairs well, because it just kind of seems pointless. Mm. Maybe it would be better suited for, sh- for like short films. Perhaps, perhaps. All right. That's tectonic plate. I saw the founder. It's directed by John Lee Hancock. Tells perfect the... trans. Perfect. That's that's a that's a whiplash transition. Yeah. Tectonic plate to the founder. So this is, uh, tells the story of Ray Kroc. The uh, he's not the founder of McDonald's, but he's the one that basically made it what it is today. Yeah. Pretty standard biopic stuff here. Uh, not not a lot of um real creative flourishes happening in this one uh the score really bothered me for this one like i don't don't know why normally i don't notice the score of a film unless it's either really good or really bad and for some reason this one just was not doing it for me it felt so generic that it bothered me uh (laughs) other than that you're pretty standard biopicky stuff it's the same kind of peaks and valleys that you come to expect from a movie like this. Um, that being said, it was still very entertaining and, and it was interesting to you know see how McDonald's became the behemoth that it is today. And there were really so, uh, solid performances as well. Michael Keaton as Ray Kwok was, he was fantastic as usual. Laura Dern plays his wife. She was great. Uh, Nick Offerman as, uh, I think he was Dick McDonald, and then um, John Carroll Lynch as Mac McDonald. I always love John Carroll Lynch. I feel like he's extremely underrated as a character actor. Uh, Patrick Wilson, B.J. Novak, um, they were great. Linda, Linda Cardellini was in it as well. She was great too. So really solid performances all around. Uh, I like the aesthetic. I like movies that take place in the 50s. I love that that look, and I think that they pretty much nailed the look where everything is very bright and colorful and clean and it just had that 50s vibe to it and i, I like yeah. i liked that uh other than that though not not much to say it wasn't i would not call this oscar material at all i think it was enjoyable but it was you know a five or a six you know it was just pretty average in the end yeah but still very entertaining and it was funny too. There were a lot of there was a lot of humor in it. Like obviously Nick Offerman was <laughs> was really funny, but it was more of a closer to a dramatic role for him. Interesting, hmm. interesting little movie. The Founder. The Founder. Yeah, that's playing playing theaters now. All right. I didn't see anything else. I spent I wasted so much time trying to finish <laughs> American Honey. All right, I got a couple more I can rattle off here. So Death Race 2050, this is the uh, this, is, this is the Roger Corman produced one. 
so it's like a proper sequel to Death Race 2000, not those terrible remakes that, that happened uh, a few years yeah. ago. You know, I expected it to be worse than it was. It was certainly a B movie and it was certainly trying to be a B movie and that seemed evident. And a lot of times when movies are clearly attempting to be cheesy and bad, it doesn't work. And I think that this one doesn't really work. Some of it was actually pretty funny, but a lot of it felt like a lot of the goofs and and gags didn't didn't land for me. They felt very juvenile and the mm-hmm. uh the effects work is terrible. It's just CG blood everywhere and just everything looked pretty bad. Some of the stuff looked cool like when they were actually racing, when they showed shots of the cars racing, it reminded me of the original, which I definitely appreciated the look of the cars and the the costumes. They were all straight out of the original, which I definitely liked that. But you know, it takes place in this this future where the United States is called like the United Corporations of America or something like that. And it's like they replace the stars on the flag with money signs. And Malcolm McDowell plays the the sort of president, but he's got this like crazy comb over, like clearly a, a riff on Donald Trump. Hmm. So all of the, you know, the the message of this movie is is so surface level and just so overt that you can't really take it seriously and it doesn't really have anything interesting to say but you know it's still it's still a fun little fun little romp i would say it's very violent <laughs> but interestingly like the it's more violent than the original one the original one actually wasn't that violent um in comparison with movies that come out today but eh, eh. And there's this one, one of the racers is, she's like a rapper, and she does this one song over and over and over again, and it is the worst song ever. And they, they replay it like three or four times in the movie, and it, I just don't understand who thought that was a good idea to include that. So, yeah, Death Race 2050, if you're looking for just a, a movie you can laugh at in a so-bad-it's-good sort of way, might, might be worth a look. I saw Moana, the uh, Disney animated one. Oh yeah. Didn't have a whole lot of interest in this one. I had a mild interest, but it's one of those movies like with a lot of these animated movies, it's like, oh, I'll wait until it come it hits digital and give it a look. Uh first first thing, animation is stunning in this movie. I mean, it is incredible. Like I was blown really? away with the animation in this movie. It's funny how when you see trailers for these movies, the animation never seems to be as good as what it actually is. And there were just so many things like the hair and the water. And there's like a scene where she, there's a scene where she like is in this storm and she ends up being washed on the shore and she's like buried in the sand and she pops up and just the, how the sand looks so real and detailed. Um, <laughs> it was just absolutely stunning. The, the animation is absolutely the highlight of this. Uh, it's really funny too. It made me laugh quite a bit. Uh, I know T- uh, Taika Watiti did the initial draft of this film, and I think that there's a lot of his humor in the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I think they changed the overall story. They tweaked it a bit, but his ideas, I think, are still in there. Oddly, they took him off as a writing credit, but hmm. I don't know what the specifics are about that. But um, The music's really good, too. It is a musical, so there are a number of... of uh, 
musical interludes and they're really good. Like the songs are really good. They're catchy. They're well done. Uh, there's a particular scene that involves uh, Jermaine Clement as he's like a bad guy. He's this giant crab. And his song is, it feels like it's straight out of uh, Flight of the Concords. He's doing his kind of Bowie impersonation with the song. And it's so enjoyable. Uh, just given the how depressing everything is these days, coming to a movie that's very light and, mm, and yeah. lighthearted and fun like this, even though it does have a message. I mean, there's, there's a clear um, environmentalist message in this movie. It's still refreshing to to see something like this and just you know find find some joy in the world. So I would highly recommend checking out Moana. It was, it was I was surprised. I didn't think I was going to like it as much as I did. Uh, story is a little bit lacking, but everything else is is top notch. Uh, the only other gotcha. one that I'll mention is this is a rewatch for me, and I, I rarely I don't I don't even log rewatches. No. I don't even log rewatch. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't vlog rewatches on Letterboxd. Um but uh parents such so such a purist. Well, I just parents. I don't know for some reason I just don't I don't vlog rewatches. Uh Parents from 1989 directed by Bob Balaban. This came out on Blu-ray this week from uh as part of the Vestron collector series. Uh and it is this is a movie that I saw when I was a kid. I was really, really young when I saw this. My parents rented it. I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know why they let me watch this, but it scared the shit out of me as a kid. I had nightmares for days because of this movie. I don't even think, I think that I got like so scared that they, they had to turn it off or maybe they turned it off after they saw that it was clearly not going to be a movie that's kid friendly. Yeah. Uh, Basically, it it takes place in the 50s, and it is about uh, this kid who believes that his parents, played by Randy Quaid and Mary Beth Hurt, may be cannibals. And the whole movie is is through the eyes of this, this kid. So it's from his perspective. So a lot of the things that he's seeing that he doesn't understand, he's interpreting as being this or that. And as a kid, I... I really couldn't appreciate some of the things about this movie. And this is, this is a movie that doesn't get talked about a lot. It's, I don't think that it was um, very well received when it came out. And I feel like it just kind of, nobody talks about this one. And the cinematography in this movie is incredible. Like I was blown away with how good this movie looked and like the framing, the lighting, the, the, the composition, the shots. I mean, they use some really interesting techniques to to show this story and i think that that's it's so underrated uh, and it's definitely worth a look just for that alone um it, it feels like um i would compare it to like a todd salon's movie or john waters even where it's this kind of um you know leave it to beaver type of atmosphere but then you have this this really dark horror that's that's kind of injected into it yeah, it's a it's, it's a really fun movie, and I would highly recommend checking it out. I mean, plus it's directed by Bob Balaban, and who doesn't love Bob Balaban? I don't trust anyone that dislikes Bob Balaban. Exactly. Actually, I don't trust anyone that is indifferent to Bob Balaban. Exactly. Like if I were to ask you, what do you think about Balaban, and they were just like, eh, 
don't really have an opinion. I would not trust that person. Exactly. So parents, check it out. It's on Blu-ray now. The with the, all these Vestron Blu-rays, they're a little bit more expensive than normal Blu-rays. I think you can get it on Amazon for like twenty-five bucks. Um, but it's got tons of bonus content and stuff, and uh, lots of behind-the-scenes interviews and stuff like that. Uh, they interview Mary Beth Hurt. They interview the the uh, the writer of the film, the cinematographer. It was the same guy that did Hellraiser. Um, so lots of bonus stuff there too. That's that's uh, quite interesting. There is an audio commentary by Bob Balaban. So, oh my God! Yes. So yeah, check out Parents because it's it's awesome and it's I think it's definitely should be considered a cult classic. Maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know about these cult. <laughs> I don't know what cult classic status is. All right. Yeah, look. I don't. Someone should keep track of that. Probably there should be like a website or something. Kind of there do it like is. a whole thing where you like vote vote them in every year. You can vote in like two titles. Yeah, I think that there should be like an official like an official list because everything's so loosey goosey when it comes to cult classics. Remember, there used to be a section in I don't know if it was Blockbuster or Hollywood Video or A to Z Video or one of the ones that were yeah. were in our town. There used to be a cult classics section. And that, yeah. I like, I'd go to the video store. That was the first place that I would go, cult classics, see what they got. And they had like Toxic Avenger and stuff. And I, I, but I never knew what made it that. Like, what, yeah. what designates it a cult classic? Yeah. I mean, there's obviously definitions, but I think that it's so loose that you could interpret a lot of movies as cult classics. Anyway, let's move on and talk about some predictions. Uh, we were off last week, so. We didn't predict anything. Uh, I can pull up some scores here and see how the movies did that came out uh, over the weekend. Rings got a 5%. Uh, we do have a review for that up on the site. Blake gave it a 3 out of 10. So apparently that's Ooh. garbage. <laughs> Not surprisingly. No. The Space Between Us, that got an 18%. That moved up a little bit. That was at like a, had like a 6 or something at one point. Are you serious? Yeah. Oof. Didn't expect much after we did that Ryan Watches movie. Same director as Hannah Montana, the movie. So yeah, didn't have a, a very high expectations on that. I'm Not Your Negro has a 97%. Uh, that's that's really all the ones. Uh, oh, that comedian movie came out, the one with Robert De Niro, that has uh, a 25%. Really? Yeah, I heard, I heard very bad things about that one. Dark Knight has a 64 Yeah. People are liking it for some oh. reason. I, I just don't get it. I don't get it either. I just don't understand people anymore. Yeah, I just, there's... I, never, I don't know if I ever did to begin with, right, <laughs> to yeah. be honest. Next week, got a big one, at least in my eyes, and that's John Wick Chapter 2. I'm pretty excited for this. I'm pretty excited too. Um, I will say... I don't think it's going to be as well-received as the original one, but I'm, I'm just hoping that it's somewhat as good. I'm just hoping that it's entertaining and fun. I'll say 68 on that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say uh, man, that's what I wanted. I wanted that 68. <laughs> I wanted it. Too bad. I wanted it so bad. Too uh, I'm going to go with a 70. I'm going to right. lean a little more optimistic. Okay. Alright. Hopefully you're right on that one. Uh, the Lego Batman movie comes out. Oh boy. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even give this one a second glance if it wasn't for the fact that the regular Lego movie was so fantastic. Um, I know. This is currently sitting at a 90% right now on Rotten Tomatoes. So, 
I mean, the, watch out. I don't know if you did. You see any of the trailers for it? I have not. They every one of them made me laugh. So I will absolutely be checking this one out. What are you thinking on the Lego Batman movie? I'm gonna say eighty eighty six. Uh, that's a good. That's a good score. You wanted it, didn't you? You want that eighty? I'm gonna say eighty. Yeah, I'm so. gonna say eighty five. And then we have Fifty Shades Darker. Oh, boy. I'm going to say 14. I'm going to go with a 6. All right. <laughs> uh, the single-digit numbers are always the funniest ones to predict. Let's see what else we got next week. We have a United Kingdom. We have David Brent, Life on the Road. Come on. <laughs> Come on. It's, just, it's funny to see where his career went. Oh, my God. You serious? Where... Where do you think the wrong turn was? You know what I, I mean? Like, what what was it? I'm starting to think that it was Stephen Merchant that was the brains behind everything on that. Because I feel like when he, when he and Stephen Merchant broke off and started doing their own stuff, I feel like that's when things took a turn. Yeah. For him. Yeah, because... Stephen Merchant's yeah. still doing great stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what that mm-hmm. is. I mean, it's... That's an actual movie? I feel like that should be just a, like a BBC special or something. Yeah, no. Well, it I was. It might have been. I guess been. it is a Netflix thing. Yeah, it might have been because when I was in London, there were actually like buses and stuff that had that on, like, on the side. So it might have been a BBC thing. Anyway, uh, Land of Mine. I'm not sure what that is. Looks like a war film. Uh, Keddie, which is the. I believe Turkish documentary about cats, street cats. I know that's so awesome. I, I saw the trailer. There needs to be more documentaries about cats. Uh, you know, I saw the trailer for this. I'm not a cat person, uh, but I saw the trailer for this and I was like, okay, I'm I'm into this now. Follows seven street cats and just kind of follows their <laughs> lives. Yeah, I'll check that out definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Keep quiet. Uh, don't hang up. Havenhurst. Stray Bullets. These are all movies that I'm not super familiar with. Sex Doll, Bornless Ones, Running Wild, I Am Jane Doe, One Night. Uh, I think that's it. I think that's pretty much it. I think we're going to have a tough time next week. Unless you, if you see John Wick, we'll be good. Uh, VOD next week, we have <clears throat> on the 7th, the Tuesday. We have Deadly Virtues, Love, Honor, Obey. Mm-hmm. We have Jonathan. We have The Covenant. And then on Friday the 10th, we have Havenhurst, Running Wild, Bornless Ones, Don't Hang Up, Beyond the Edge. I think Beyond the Edge is with Dolph Lundgren. Oh, nice. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Dolph Lundgren. It's with Casper Van Dien. That's even better. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as far as VOD goes next week, not a whole lot going on. Havenhurst. Maybe. Oh, how many times are you going to say Havenhurst? Not into that word? I just, <laughs> it's just, it's always, it seems like every week we do this, there's always that one film <clears throat> that is in every single category. It might be on Blu-ray too. When you're like, I, yeah, that's what I mean. Like you just, there's always one film that just infiltrates everything. It is true. And this time it's Havenhurst. 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 Next week on Blu-ray, this is for Tuesday, February 7th, we have American Pastoral. I think that's the uh, Ewan McGregor directed one, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, what happened to that? That kind of like came out, like when it played the festivals. It's it, there was like whispers of, and then it just completely. Yeah, I don't know. The the I'm not sure what happened with that one. All I know is I saw a new trailer for Train Spotting Two, and I lost my shit because it's gonna be insane. Frank and Lola. You're super excited. You're excited for that one. Are you? No, I'm not. <sighs> it's one of those unnecessary things. I don't know. I think it's. It's. it's I mean, it's on the same level of like David Brent. <laughs> Come on! Are you kidding me? <laughs> Jesus yeah, Christ, this is not on the same <laughs> level as that at all. It's pretty much the same thing. No, it is not. <laughs> oh, I'm almost certain. <laughs> watch that watch the new trailer. I think you'll I think you'll be into it. Uh yeah, anyway, Frank and Lola comes out. Justice League Dark. That's a new animated one that I'm pretty pretty excited about. Those DC animated ones have uh, been pretty good. I like I like to consume those when they come out. And I like uh, Justice League Dark. I think it's a good team with Constantine and Zatanna and all of them. Very, very excited for that. The Take, that's the one with uh, Idris Elba, I believe, that uh, supposedly is not, not great. Mm-hmm. We have The Taken 3-movie collection. Oh, boy. That's exciting. Nice. We have trilogy. Ice Age 5-movie collection. Uh, uh, Nerdland. Skip that one, please. The Eagle Huntress. The Eagle Huntress. That's supposed to be, that's supposed to be pretty good. Uh, I'm not going to see it just because of the name, and I think that's a lame name. Well, she's actually an Eagle Huntress. So. Oh, is it a documentary? Yeah, it's a documentary oh, about okay. being an Eagle Huntress. Okay, never mind then. Like, she has an eagle, and she hunts with it. Interesting. Okay. Never mind. I take it all back. Take it all back. Little Sister. Uh, you were a big fan of that one. I thought it was okay. That was, that was pretty good. I enjoyed that. Uh, let's see what else do we have here uh loving it was, it was okay on that one again pretty pretty standard biopic yeah that's pretty much what i've been hearing i mean it's decent that one it's decent yeah uh trolls <laughs> uh, these decisions these decisions uh john john wick's getting a 4k release go anti-birth that one's okay. It's body a body horror comedy with um Natasha Leone. Oh yeah. I remember you talking about that one. And uh Chloe Savini. Yeah, it was decent. Very gross. Uh, what else do we have here? The Alchemist Cookbook. There's a lot of stuff next week. Um we'll leave it at that. We'll we'll, <laughs> yeah, just, we'll leave it at that. There's there's we'll all kinds there. of like anime and re releases, a bunch of Godzilla movies and the mummy and all this other stuff, but we'll we'll leave it at that for no, now. Yeah, no one cares. What do we have on Criterion? We have one Criterion. That is uh, Kirsten Johnson's camera person. It's a fairly new release. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the contemporary releases from uh, Criterion, and this is actually, I mean, for me, Criterion personally, I think when it comes to their contemporary offerings, they're they're kind of iffy. I don't think they're that great, but I think that. This is an interesting one. And this is another film that I, I noticed popping up on a boatload of top tens last mm-hmm. year. Yeah, I heard nothing but great things about it. So, And you'll be covering this one, yes? At some point in time, I guess. <laughs> great. I have no time to do any of these things. Great. All right, I think that that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin.com. 
And if you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse, and consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber for $1 a month. Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.